Well, good morning. You know, if you grew up in a uh, theologically conservative, uh, non-denominational sort of church, you might not be familiar with Lent. But the season is practiced by Anglicans, Eastern Orthodox, Methodists, Lutherans, Presbyterians, and the Roman Catholic Church. We don't know exactly how long it's been practiced. We do know it was recognized officially at the Council of Nicaea in 325, which means it was probably practiced significantly before then, going all the way back possibly to the apostolic Fathers, which would make this probably one of the oldest traditions in Christendom. Now, Lent is not in the Bible, but Christmas Eve services aren't either. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing necessarily. In the early church, early, early church, there was no greater honor than to be baptized on Easter. And the word comes from the Latin 40th. And so for the 40 days before Easter, leading up to Easter, the baptismal candidates would, would prepare themselves, fasting and prayer and meditation on the word, uh, getting ready. Now, also in the early church, as you can uh, imagine, if you think about it for just a moment, persecution was pretty intense. I mean, they would come to you at different points with a knife to your throat, deny Christ, or a knife to your children's throats, deny Christ or else. And so several folk uh, committed a grievous sin, I suppose would be the way to say it, denying Christ and were excommunicated. Well, then if they repent, they want to get back into the church, those 40 days before Easter was also for them. And they were to demonstrate their repentance through penance, etc., getting ready for Easter. Now, in time, it came to be known that that 40 days for Easter, that was for everybody, that was for all the faithful, because who doesn't need to repent? And so that's where it came to. Now, also in time, for many people, not for all, but for many, it became a cold, uh, empty ritual. For many people, not for all, it became a uh, game to play. You know, I grew up in Chicago, very, 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 very Roman Catholic area. And my friends were constantly trying to find loopholes around this. Yeah, yeah, I gave up. I gave up Snickers bars for, for Lent. But, you know, I gave up the big Snickers bars, not these bite-sized ones. So I'd eat 55 bite-sized ones as if things were, were good. So trying to find that out. Now, for some people, not for all, but for some, it became a legalistic, penance-driven way to earn my way back to God. But initially, it was never intended to, to be that. And so Lent is not necessarily a bad thing if your heart is right, correct? To, to, to look into the mirror spiritually and to recognize the truth, which is, you know, I can coddle my creaturely comforts in my flesh. I can talk myself into believing that I'm living like a citizen of heaven when I'm really living like a citizen of hell. It's not real hard for me to do. And so to take some time to stop and try to be honest with yourself before Almighty God, incorporating those things that need to be incorporated, discarding those things that need to be dark, discarded, that we might be more spiritually sensitive, Lent can be a good thing. Now, one of the primary texts for the Lenten season is Matthew chapter 4. So if you got your Bible, if you turn to Matthew 4, we're going to be in there for just a moment. That will be like our jumping off text, but Matthew chapter 4. Now just focus on this for a minute. Underline some things in your head. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. 
to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting, 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, I guess, right? And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Okay. Now, you, you notice a couple of things here. Jesus is going out in the desert. You think that'd be a nice, quiet place alone, but the Spirit leads him out there. So the Spirit's out in the desert with him. Satan's out in the desert with him. The Father, of course, is in the desert with him. Mark's going to let us know that angels are out in the desert with him, and wild animals are out in the desert with him. It is crowded in the desert. And it also says that Jesus is fasting. For a long time, he's fasting. And we'll talk about the 40 days thing next week, but he's fasting. You know, I was a youth pastor here many, many years ago. I was working with uh, our student leaders. And the student leaders, I mean, as, as a group, we planned the youth ministry and ran the youth ministry. And so these, these students and I, we were talking, and something came up. And frankly, I can't remember exactly what it was, whether it was some event we were planning or something happened with one of the students in the group, but something really big. I mean, it was really big. And so one of the students said, we should pray about this. So we said, all right. So we all bowed to pray. And then the student said, no, 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 no. Hang on, hang on. This is big. I mean, this is really big. I mean, we need to get on our knees to pray about this one. So we all kind of nodded and no one questioned that it was right. So we got on our knees to pray. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us necessarily posture we have to be in to pray. People prayed standing or looking up or kneeling or in a fish or lying down. You know, there was all kinds of ways you could pray. But we know that every once in a while as you go through life, sometimes something happens and the urgency is so deep or the desperation is so powerful. The, the questions are so much in your mind and you, you say, I have got to get on my knees to pray. You, you don't even, you just drop down. You cannot not because the pain is so deep. Sometimes you say, I'm not even interested in eating right now. I mean, I, I have got to, to meet God. I have got to get resolution to this. I have to know what's going to happen. I need to bring this before him. This is so intense. It's so painful. It's so bothersome. In Judaism, fasting was different facets to fasting, but it was associated often with, with prayer. Deep, deep, serious time of thinking and prayer. And so Jesus is here fasting for quite some time. And so you ask yourself, why is he fasting? What's going on? Well, this is pretty significant, actually, because where he's at here in the desert, the only people, the only people who know his name, his family, John the Baptist, Satan. At this point in history, Jesus has not healed a person. He has not preached a sermon. He has not cast out a demon. No miracles whatsoever. He has lived his life incognito. No one's even thinking he could be the Messiah. But last chapter, he was baptized. And as soon as he was, the hourglass was kind of set up. And the, the grains began to fall. And he started a 1,000-day trek, basically, to, Gol to Golgotha. He had 1,000 days, in which case he had to recruit his team, his disciples. He had to convince them that he really was the Messiah. 
He had to equip them. He had to preach to the the masses. He had to equip the, the nation for him. He had to teach them repentance, teach them what the kingdom of God was really about. And the whole time he's doing this, hell is throwing everything it has at him, seeking to discredit him and to derail him. The Sanhedrin seems to be walking hand in hand with hell, putting up obstacle after obstacle. It's only a thousand days, but in this thousand days, Jesus has to become the sin of the world for everyone who would follow him. He has to disarm hell. He has to fulfill the entire Old Testament scriptures. He's only got a thousand days to do this. And so what's he do? He spends the first 40 of it on a prayer retreat? Are you serious? Jesus, come on. If you got to pray, take a day. Okay, I understand. But 40, you've only got a thousand days. What does Jesus know about prayer that we might not know? And then if you look at this text, isn't it interesting that the very first temptation that Satan throws at him, the very first temptation is trying to get Jesus to break his fast, trying to get Jesus to quit praying. It's almost as if Satan watching Jesus pray is starting to get nervous. He's starting to get nervous. And maybe you, you've experienced this. You're alone trying to pray, and suddenly you start thinking about how hungry you are. Now your back hurts and your headache and you're just struggling and all the things you got to do and the list of stuff you need to accomplish. And man, I just don't have time. And what am I doing anyway here? And nothing's getting through and I'm wasting my time. Maybe, I mean, maybe it's your flesh. But maybe, just maybe you are experiencing true, genuine spiritual warfare. So that's what's going on. And so I, I... Say, you know what, maybe Satan knows something about prayer, I don't know. And I want to be a man of prayer, so I go to the guru on prayer, right? Amazon, because Amazon knows everything. You can get anything on Amazon, right? So I I was on Amazon a while back looking at different titles on prayer because you want to grow in prayer. So I stopped after reviewing about 500 different titles because there were pages and pages and pages and pages more. But here are some of the titles you can pick up if you want to be sharp on prayer. Six prayers got answers. Seven prayers that will change your life. Nine steps to creating prayers that get results. That's what we want, right? Prayers that get results, right? Twelve keys to prayer. The 12 prayers of Christmas. 21 most effective prayers. 40 days of prayer. 52 weeks of prayer. 52 ways to pray. 101 most powerful prayers. 105 days of prayer, 124 prayers for caregivers. 365 days of prayer. The book of 1,000 prayers. We've got the Catholic Book of Prayer, the Lutheran Book of Prayer, New Zealand Prayer Book, Christian Prayer for Dummies. You got Prayers of the Faithful, Prayers of the Damned, Worry Warts Book of Prayer, the Celtic Daily Prayers, a Jewish Woman's Prayer Book, Sister Wendy on Prayer, African Prayers, the Papa Prayer, Jesus Prayer, and the Prayer of Jabez. It keeps going. We've got the Book of Common Prayer, the Book of Uncommon Prayer, the Power of Prayer, the Folly of Prayer, Emergency Prayers, the All-Night Prayer Vigil, One-Minute Prayers, Shorter Christian Prayers, Prayers to Rout Demons, Prayers that Avail Much, Prayers that Change Everything, Prayers that Break Curses, Prayers that Heal, Answered Prayer Guaranteed. We need that one, right? Contemplative Prayer, the Prayer Shawl, the Prayer Shield, Praying with Beads, Listening Prayer, Techniques of Prayer Therapy, pagan prayer beads, the Tibetan prayer flag, the prayer gift box, imaginative prayer, and of course the famous Dolly Parton prayer candle. (laughs) And with all these glorious resources, 
We should at least be, I mean, 12, we should be the 12th degree black belts in prayer, should we not? But I'm afraid, right, that most of these resources, we get into them, they're gonna, we're going to be more confused. Than how we get. Now, I'm guessing that there's probably some good theology in some of these. Probably not so much in, in others. And so before you go to Amazon looking for uh, information and how to be a prayer, um, maybe there's a different place we need to go first. Luke 11, verse 1. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, just stare at that verse for a minute. You know, something bothersome for me in there is Jesus had 12 apostles, and he had many, many disciples, but only one was concerned with their prayer life. You know, it's, 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 is this not normal? I don't want to make too big of a thing about this, but is it not normal? A lot of Christians are worried and bothered about so many, many, many things, but they seem satisfied with their prayer life, even though their prayer life isn't satisfying. They're good with their prayer life, even though their prayer life isn't good. But every once in a while, you find a disciple who's thirsty inside, says, I'm, I'm not satisfied with what is. Oh, Lord, would you teach me to pray. And you know, the fascinating thing about this is these folk, this disciple has seen a lot, hasn't he? I mean, he could say, Lord, Lord, Lord. Remember that time you walked on water? Oh, I mean, Johnny would love it if I could do that. Listen, can you teach me how to do that one, Lord? Oh, that would be so cool. And, and Lord, you know, you healed all those people. And oh, man, I know a lot of sick people. Man, would you just teach me how to do that? If I knew how to do that, I'd give you all the glory. That'd be great. And you healed that, that, that dead girl. You, you raised her. <laughs> Listen, I'll give anything. If you could, would you teach me to do that one? And, and, and you, Lord, I listen to you preach. And oh, man, when you preach, no one falls asleep. And no one's on their Facebook when you preach, Lord. And it's amazing. When, you, when, you, when you're preaching, you know what? There's, it's not emotion. It's not entertainment. But it's real conviction. And there's really truth that goes forth. It's power of, of, of heaven seems to be unleashed. Wouldn't you teach me to preach like that? But this person looks at Jesus and says, would you teach me to pray? In, in Judaism, prayer had become a pretty complex situation. There were many, many, many formulaic prayers that they were to recite. They had a specific prayer they needed to recite when they woke up in the morning, another prayer that they would recite when they went to bed at night. There was a prayer they would recite when they saw the sun rise. There was a different prayer they would recite when they saw it set. There was a prayer they would recite when they went, another one that they would recite when they came. There was a prayer when they saw a storm. There was a prayer when they got new furniture. It was so complex. That they, and it, it was just like, who can deal with this? I mean, it was boring in many ways. It was empty in many ways. It was confusing. Maybe I'm getting all the prayers all mixed up. Is God really hearing me? Am I just wasting my time? Have you ever thought like that about prayer? Because yeah, all of us have. All of us have. And so this, 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 this disciple watches Jesus pray, though. And it's as if. He enjoys it. He, he, he sneaks away from his disciples often that he might pray. And maybe this disciples overheard Jesus praying, thinking, Jesus is really connecting with heaven. I mean, really, really connecting with heaven. 
is there anything better? Jesus, would you teach me to do that? And, and we wouldn't be too offended, right, if Jesus would have looked at this guy and said, oh, you know not what you ask, poor, noble but clueless disciple, because I cannot teach you to do this because I am Jesus, the Son of God, and you are, well, you are you. And so it's never going to happen. And so, sorry, we would think, well, yeah, okay, I guess. But amazing thing, Jesus looks, looks at this guy. He says, okay, okay. I think for any of his disciples who truly want to know learn how to pray and go to him. He says, okay, okay. And so he gives what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we also have forgiven those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And if you want to add, for thine is the kingdom and the glory and power forever. Amen. Even though it's not in the original manuscript, you can certainly do that because it's really not bad. But we say that over and over and over again. But that was not given by Jesus that we might recite it. Now, now hear me, if, if we do recite it, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's not wrong if we recite it with the right heart. But we know for at least two reasons why that was not given as a standard prayer that we recite. Because he gives the same prayer in Luke 11 and in Matthew 6, but the wording is different. Can you imagine if we were going to quote this prayer and some of you all are quoting out of Luke 11, the other out of Matthew 6, it would be, it would be chaos. He's not giving us it. Plus, when he says in Matthew 6, 9, he says, Pray then this like this or this way. He doesn't say say this, but pray like this. This is a model. And he starts off with one little, just the beginning. And really what he's saying is if you want to learn to pray, you got to start this way. you got to understand this because if you don't understand this, everything else is for not our Father in heaven. Now, now, a good Jew would, would very, 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 very seldom, if ever, refer to God as Father. I mean, that would be offensive. Oh, my, my, my goodness. That would be bordering sacrilegious. It's too touchy-feely. I mean, this is Almighty God, and you're calling him Father. And it gets it's worse. Jesus really creates a scandal here because we know the first century, these folk were speaking Aramaic. The Aramaic word for father is dad, papa. I can't believe. Who, who do you think you are addressing God with such touchy-feely words? But Jesus says, listen, you want to learn to pray? It starts with, a, with an understanding of who God is, of a relationship with. If you don't have a proper understanding of and relationship with God, everything else, you might as well be, be quoting the Gettysburg Address or uh, some Taylor Swift song because the rest of it is useless. Just quoting it means nothing unless you understand that first few words. Our Father in heaven. Now, notice... That, that, that Jesus doesn't say, this is how you need to address God. Almighty, infinite, eternal 
Oh, holy creator of the universe. And if you approach God that way, it's not wrong. It's not wrong it's because he is those things and we need to know that he is those things. But Jesus is not trying to teach us proper protocol and approaching deity. He's trying to teach us the basis for prayer. Just because God is infinite and eternal and holy, that doesn't mean you can go to him. Matter of fact, if he's holy, you probably shouldn't go to him because you're so much not. But if he's your father, oh, oh that changes everything. That's, that's, that's completely different, completely different deal. So in... When he says, our Father in heaven, I think a lot of commentaries will agree with me that what he's saying is prayer is in essence heavenly relationship. Now we think, we think prayer is a means to an end, right? I pray, I do it right, and things happen and stuff. I get stuff. That's just a way to get stuff. It's a means to an end. But Jesus is saying, mm, prayer is an end in itself. Now, Larry Crabb said this, uh, Larry Crabb, he said, when my grandkids sit on Santa's lap in the mall, they have yet to ask Santa how he's doing. If maybe he's getting a little tired of all these kids, they hop on his lap, recite their list of desired gifts, and hop off. We Christians call it prayer. Now, you can imagine a, a, a relationship I have with my wife, Teresa, and every morning, Teresa and I get together, and we get together every single morning. I say, Teresa, thank you so much for coming this morning. I appreciate getting together with you. Listen, I got a few things we need to talk about. We got that tire on the van that's really struggling a little bit. You need to go check that out. Will you have that checked out for me? Also, you know, we've got some shingles on the roof. I think they've blown off in the storm. Will you cover that for me as well? Don't forget that one of our kids has got an orthodontist appointment today, and you need to, when you go to Costco, make sure you pick me up some nuts, because I really like nuts. Thanks a whole lot. I enjoy spending time with you. I'm out of here. I'll see you tomorrow. And then the next morning, Teresa, 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 hey, listen, listen, don't forget that tire on the, on the, on the van, hon, and thanks for taking care of those shingles. I think the wrong color shingles, but it, it'll probably, probably work. And don't forget, our other kid has got a recital today. And when you take, go back to Costco, taking back those nuts, please, I really like the salted ones. Thanks so much. I really appreciate spending time with you. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye. And then the next morning, Teresa, 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 about that tire on the van. I don't think you're listening to me about that one, hon. <laughs> okay. Listen, what happens? Is, is that, how, don't you want to be in relationship with me? If that's the extent of our relationship. Would you like that kind of relationship with your spouse? Do you think God likes that kind of relationship with us where we are the puppet master and our prayers kind of pull the strings and we can pull God's arms and make him do what we want him to. God is in the bottle. He's the genie, but our prayers kind of rub the bottle and get it. Do we think so? Jesus says, when you come to pray, the first thing you've got to keep in mind is prayer is heavenly relationship. You are coming to your father. You are coming to your father. You know, I have got uh, four children, Lauren, Nathan, Andrew and Samantha. Obviously, my relationship with them is unique. They can call me something no one else in the world can call me. Only, only them. I mean, with any kind of reality, they can call me dad. Nobody else can. And I really can't just grant other people. They can call me dad because of our very special relationship. Because I am part of them. We have a very substantial bond 
And as a dad, you know, dads, you'd give anything for your child. And you'd be sad that you can't give more because you love them so very, very much. I am a poor dad, though, but our Heavenly Father is not. And so when we talk about this, I know we cannot help but think about our earthly fathers. And maybe you had a real good earthly father. You still need to know that person doesn't pale, they pale in comparison to who God is. Maybe your father was not so good. Well, you just need to know God is not a father who's absent because he's a workaholic or he's an alcoholic or he is obsessed with some hobby and is never home or he's got an anger issue. This is not, our God is not a strict disciplinarian. Jesus says when you come to him, you need to recognize who he is. You need to have a relationship with him as, as, as father. Um, Jesus is unique in his sonship, of course. He's the son of God like none of us can possibly be. We understand that. And in a sense, all of creation, all every person is his child because he's the creator. And so in a sense, I guess, God is the father. of Yes, that's probably true. However, in Scripture, those who are in Christ have a very unique relationship with him. They alone can call him Abba, Papa. Look at Romans 8, 15. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit, the capital S is the Holy Spirit, right, of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now think for just a minute. God has adopted you, and if you know anything about adoption, it is not based on performance. Well, all right, kids, you all line up. We're going to see who's the best one, and we're going to adopt. We don't adopt on performance. Adoption usually is, right, the parent chooses. Now the kid, if he's an infant, doesn't, can't choose, doesn't know what's going on. A little bit older, the, the person may, may, may choose. But the father chose regardless of performance, regardless of what you And then he put his spirit inside us. We belong to him. We are part him. So we can uniquely call him Abba. Jesus says, when you, when you pray, you need to have a right perspective of God. You need to have a right relationship with him. You need to understand who you're talking to. You know, I've got this picture in my mind. I, President Obama was in office at the time. He's in the Oval Office in this picture. And all these suits and dignitaries and very powerful people are around him, the most powerful man in the world, and standing right next to him, little girl, Sasha, white or pink sweatsuit, those gym shoes, I think they, I think they like glow, you know, they come lights when you start, and she's just standing next to him, hanging on to his leg. I'm thinking, you, you know what, all this power, all this prestige, and, and President Obama was certainly her president, but more than that, he was her father. And so when we go to God, Jesus says, if you're going to go to, you need to start with that realization that he is your father. Now, let me show you just real quick uh, illustration of this. Psalm 131. This is a great prayer. This is a prayer. Just so you know, look at this prayer and, and just look through the different prayer requests that might be in here or what this person's trying to get at in this prayer. He says, oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. When he's talking about great and marvelous, it's not 
wonderful wow things, like whoa, it's heavy things, things too confusing, things too painful, things too scary. It says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. When a weaned child crawls up into mom's lap, it's not looking for food, right? It's not looking for what the mom can give me in that regard. It's not looking for, for to use the mom. All it wants is the mom. Because sometimes life is scary. And sometimes there's, there's lots of dangers and there's bullies and there's people who would hurt me. But when I climb up into mom's lap, there's, I know that no one can beat mom. I'm, I'm safe there. And sometimes life is confusing. I don't know which way to go. I don't know. I don't know. But when I crawl up into mom's lap, it's okay. She knows. She might not tell me, but I know she knows. And, and, and sometimes, and sometimes I get owies. I get hurt. But, but when I climb up mom's lap, even with my owies, somehow because I'm in mom's lap, they're they're okay. He asks for nothing here, right? He says, he says, God, I could tell you the way you need to fix things and the way you need to handle things, but frankly, I don't have a clue. But I'm with you, knowing that you know, knowing you've got it all figured out, knowing you've got all strength, and just being with you. It's a restful time. I'm your child. Understanding who God is as our Father is a prerequisite to, to, to prayer. And then he goes on, he says, our Father in heaven. And we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. But just to know that he's not telling us where our Father lives, like he address heaven. He's not saying that. He, he's talking about his authority and his power. And he's saying, this Father that you have, you need to know this about him. He is God. No one else is he is the supreme ruler. No one else is. This, this father that you have, you need to know this about him. You need to know that he understands everything about you. When you come and try to talk to him, he knows exactly what you want and what you don't want. When you get the words mixed up and you don't say what you really mean, he knows. And he knows what, you, what you're looking for and what you're not looking for and why you're looking for it. He knows, he knows everything that's happened to you and what's going to happen to you tomorrow. He's already been to your funeral. He knows how he's gifted you. He knows everything about you, what will come your way. And he's a loving father. He says, when you, when you, when you recognize that, you know, it's not wrong for us before we pray to stop and just recognize who he is, if we stop and recognize who he is, that will radically alter what we, what, how we pray. If you looked at the rest of the Lord's Prayer, the first three requests deal with what he wants, his name, and his kingdom, and his will. My wants and needs, Lord's Prayer, are relegated to a second tier. But if I don't understand who he is, you know, my, you know how my prayers look, the same way you also look, my needs, I don't even get to his needs, really. I might say something about a missionary, but for the most part, it's my needs. Understanding who he is and in right relationship with him is, is huge. You know, Jesus, every single time, I mean, every single time Jesus prays 
and he addresses God. He always addresses him as Father. Every single time Jesus addresses God, he addresses him as Father. Every single time, except one. Matthew 27, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The one time Jesus doesn't, can't address God as his father is when he's becoming my sin and your sin. The, the one time that Jesus doesn't address God as his father is when he is taking all of those things from me and you that kept us from calling him father. And you see what's going on here. Jesus does not call God his father so that you and I can. He, this is an amazing thing. In, in John 1, 1, 12, he says, but all who received him he, and who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. And then John is so happy about this. I think in 1 John 3, 1, he says this. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. It's mind-blowing that we should be called children of God. And so we are. You can put three exclamation points at that. And so we are. John is so pumped about that. My identity, who I am. Now, you, maybe, maybe right now this morning, you can't call God Father. But you know what you can? He's here. He's interested in, a, in an adoption. And so how you would come to that point, according to Paul in Romans. It says, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you confess Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's that recognition that he died in my place to take away those things that keep me from being able to call him father, that I might call him father. Now, if in fact you're interested potentially and in growing in prayer, let me give you some homework here. Okay, three things. First thing, um, I would say pray. Pray this, Lord, teach me to pray. Now, you hear me for a second because I'm not asking us to recite empty words. Maybe the bigger question I'm asking here is, do you want Jesus to teach you to pray? And you might say, well, you know, I'm open to talking about it, but I don't have a whole lot of time, and I don't have a whole lot of bandwidth for this type of a thing, and so maybe you would say, you know what, listen, I tried to do this before, and you know what, the bottom line is, I am not Serena Williams of prayer. Just so you know, I've tried this. This just does not work. And I would say maybe you are Serena Williams of prayer. But my guess is Serena, when she first picked up a racket, she was not ready for the Grand Slam that year. And so maybe you are a young Serena Williams. How do you know? Do you want this? Would you truly be willing to come and say, Jesus, more than anything else, I want you to teach me how to have fellowship, how to have intimacy with the Father. Second thing, 
I would encourage you. I mean, if you, you might say, yeah, I'm interested in that. Uh, I think that's good. I hope he teaches me to pray. And hope is a great thing, right? But hope is a lousy strategy, okay? We need something a little bit more than that. So let me encourage you. First thing on that. Read, and let me encourage you. A lot of books out there, right? I've gone over some of them. Don't read those. Some of them are okay. But, but top book on prayer, I think, that I've ever read, I don't know how many I've read, but D.A. Carson has written a book, Praying with Paul. If you are looking for techniques, forget it. Don't go find something else. But if you are looking for a book that teaches you the theology of prayer, I know that sounds boring, but it really is not. This is a great read that teaches me how to understand prayer from a biblical perspective, how to, to pray according to the word of God, this is an excellent, excellent book. Let me encourage you to read. Third thing, as I would encourage you, and that is pray. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, let me, years ago, I was in high school, I was, we, we had in our youth group, every year we went on a canoe trip, a small church, and so one of my youth pastor people who was working with us was a guy by the name of Randy. Randy was from Moody. He was a theology professor at Moody. He didn't have an outdoor bone in his body. The, the, the poor man just grew up in school. He's going he's to lead us, though, on this canoe trip, right? So what does Randy do? Well, Randy, before the canoe trip, never canoed a minute in his life, but he wanted to figure out how to do this correctly, so he goes to the library and checks out a lot of books on canoeing and reads them all from cover to cover. And it would probably help them in some ways, but he really learned to canoe by canoeing. We're out there, and he has to uh, work through a canoe over canoe assist. He's feeling it in his biceps and, and back. He has to navigate his canoe through white water. That's where you learn how to canoe. It's interesting. Jesus says, you want to learn how to pray? Pray. And so here's, here's, the, here's the, the challenge. This is not for the lighthearted. I'm guessing that most will not go down this road. But for the few, I want to challenge you between now and the end of the year to make a commitment, not just I'm going to try, make a commitment that you will pray for 15 minutes a day. Yep, Lord, I'm going to pray for 15 minutes a day. I'm in. And if you, if you make that commitment, let me just tell you how it's going to go down, because I know how it's going to go down. First of all, you're going you're to come to your knees. You're going to be so excited that first day, and you're going you're to confess every sin known to man. You're going to pray for every person in the family twice. You're going to name every missionary you can remember. You're going to pray for everything. You're going to look at your watch, and you still have 11 minutes to go. And you go, oh, no. What am I, what's going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to sometimes go into to pray, and you're not going to be feeling very spiritual. And you're going to be going, God, you know what? I really don't want to be here right now, just so you know. I don't like this. I'm not interested in this, but I, I made that dumb commitment. So I'm going to go ahead and pray because I'm guessing you hear me. There'll be times when you go to pray and you'll just be fighting mental drift. Your mind is going all over the place. You have to keep pulling it back. There'll be those times you'll go to pray. And the first thing you'll have to say was, God, I'm so sorry I missed yesterday. I didn't mean, I really, I didn't mean to miss it. There'll be those times 11 o'clock at night, you will crawl into bed and you will almost be asleep and you will be so comfortable and all of a sudden the spirit will whisper in your ear and you know he's going to say, no, no, no. He's going to say, did you pray today? <laughs> and you'll get out of bed. But if you do that, this is what's going to happen as well. One year from now, you will have a fence of razor wire around that 15 minutes. 
because it will have become some of the sweetest time in your life. During that time, you will have learned to think a little bit more of his thoughts. You will have learned, like the psalmist, how to just be still and quiet with him. You will, you will learn what it means more to, about prayer than you think you know now. And you will wonder one year from now, how in the world could I even be satisfied with a measly 15 minutes? It will evolve in amazing ways. And so I want to ask you, we're not raising hands, we're not filling out cards, but I want to ask you in the quiet of your own heart between you and God, would you be willing to make that commitment to pray for 15 minutes a day between now and the end of the year? You said you want to learn how to pray? Pray. Close your eyes with me as we do that. And I want to leave you just a moment of stillness in your own heart between you and your God, your Father, if you would seek to make that commitment. And you know as well as I do, it's, oh, I'm going to think about this commitment. You know, it's all done now. And I would be wrong if I did not give you who might not be able to call God your father right now, an opportunity so that you might do so, an opportunity to be adopted by him, not by performance, not on how good you are, but just because he would choose you. And you could say to him, Lord, you, you are my Lord. Thank you for dying in my stead. Scripture says if you pray that with your whole heart, you are saved. Lord, thank you for being patient with us. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to call you such. And we know on right away that we don't have a clue all of what that means. But for your love and your patience with us, I pray that you would teach us how to pray. That we'd be men and women where it's not an empty routine. It's not just because we're disciplined, but it's truly our lifeblood with you. I would ask that that would be so in our lives this season, this year. In Christ's name, amen.